0: Welcome to Romans Untangled, the podcast where we take a seemingly difficult book of the Bible and untangle it so that we can enjoy its beauty. It is my pleasure to welcome you to Season 2, the first episode. And I love the title of this particular episode, The Sweetest Butt in the Bible. And again, I'm very excited to get back into the book with you. Uh, If you heard the little intro I did this season, I apologize for... Us being so late in getting at this, a few things happened, one of which was me contracting a breakthrough case of COVID, and and, uh, I just figured it'd be best to start it at the beginning of the year. And so we are started. It will now kick off every Monday. If you're listening to this on Monday, the 24th of January, 2022, it will kick off every week. It's going to go 19 episodes, and it'll take us all the way through chapter eight. At least that's the plan. Uh, These days... uh, (laughs) Uh, nothing goes according to plan. But anyway, thanks for joining us. Again, my name is Pastor Steve Treichler. I'm the founding and senior pastor of Hope Community Church in the Twin Cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul. And I just had my 25th anniversary of starting Hope. And Romans is one of my passions. And it has been ever since I became a follower of Jesus Christ in college. And I didn't know any better than to try to Figure out this beautiful book of the Bible and just to read it, and no one had told me that it's too hard for me, so I just did it. One of the things we're going to do this season is we're going to tackle one theological term each week so that we can familiarize ourselves with these terms and these great truths, and we don't want to do them in such a way that we uh, we we lose the beauty and the wonder and actually just the majesty of who God is. So this week, we're just going to start off with the most basic of all the words, and that's just the word theology. The word theology just literally means theos is the Greek word for God. And ology means of study or oligia. And it means word or of the study of. And so what you have here is it's just the study of God, right? Louis Burkhoff and his systematic theology says this. Theology is the systematized knowledge of God of whom, through whom, and unto whom are all things. Now, when you get into theology, you'll often hear the words like doctrine. This is a doctrine is simply what the whole Bible teaches about some particular topic. So the doctrine of baptism or the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. What does the Bible teach us about these particular things? Or the doctrine of uh, the the divinity or Jesus Christ being uh, truly God, right? Sometimes doctrine, another word for that is dogma or dogmatics. And I know that's not in our language. We say, hey, you're being dogmatic about this, like you're being a jerk. And, and as you're reading theologies, uh, maybe they are being jerks, but that's not exactly what we're, what we're doing on here. Now, um, when we use the word theology, oftentimes, if you read newer theologies... Uh, They'll call them systematic theologies. In other words, they're looking at it in a systematic way. What does the Bible teach about one subject? And they'll use verses throughout scripture, and they'll look at that. In the old days, they called that dogmatic theology. Uh, And again, that's a word we've shied away from now because it has connotations of us saying, you know, we're we're right and everybody else is wrong and all this and pointing fingers. But that's what it used to mean. And I'm going to give you three of my very favorite systematic theologies. One is by Wayne Grudem. Now, Wayne Grudem has written a systematic theology that is extremely helpful because it's very accessible. And so you don't have to agree with him on everything, but at least you understand him on everything. It's a beautiful thing. Millard Erickson, uh, who was used to be the president of Bethel Seminary here in St. Paul, he wrote a great theology. A little harder and even a little more difficult than that is a guy by the name, and I already quoted him, Louis Burkhoff. These are my three... Favorite, there are a lot more, obviously. Now, there's a few other theologies out there. We call about uh, systematic theology, but there's different ways of going about it, and one of which is historical theology. In other words, what has the church believed about the divinity of Jesus throughout the years? And you look at different historical sections. One is to look at what does the Old Testament teach about these things. That'd be called Old Testament theology. Then you look at New Testament theology And for the last 30 years or so, there's been a real rise with something called biblical theology. What that just basically means, instead of saying, what does the Bible teach us on these things? And we go through and we pick, you know, 10 verses and we study them and we kind of come to a conclusion. It basically says this. It says, I want you to read your Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And when you do that, I want you to think about an issue, say sin, sin in the human heart. And you're just going to read all the way through and you're going to see how that thing, how that topic uh, it becomes more and more clear as you get from Genesis to Revelation. It's obviously the best way to do it, because you're reading it in the story of Scripture. However, the reality is, we don't have that kind of time. You can't do that on every issue. So we we, we do a little bit of both. We read our Bibles from Genesis to Revelation, and we try to understand things, but we also just have to say, hey, what does the Bible teach about? Pick a topic, right? and And you go after it like that. So there's not one that's bad or better. It's just what we are able to do. So that's our word for this week is theology. We're going to divide dive into a whole bunch uh, this this season. All right, this episode, the sweetest but in the Bible. I, I have thought what a great sermon series would be is uh, I light, I like biblical buts and I cannot lie. And what I'm getting at here, if you've, if you've never heard me preach before on this, uh, I, I, I just, there's so many times in scripture where there is a, a, um, a, a, a something bad is happening and then God steps in, but God did this. And it's, it's, there's multiple of them. There's this is, horrible, this is horrible. This is horrible. And then God shows up and it says, but God, or but now this is happening. or And there's a but in there. And it's this beautiful thing. And we are going to see today, in uh, my opinion, and I'm in good company because Martin Luther um, would agree with me as well, that the section we're going to look at for this week and next week, and I believe the week after as well, is, is the sweetest section in Scripture. Martin Luther called Romans 3, 21 to 26 the chief point, and the very central place of the book of Romans, and even of the whole Bible. So, I know many of you like to listen to podcasts while you're driving, and I know I do too. If you're not, if you had a Bible with you, if you're on your phone and you're able to look at the words, we're going to go through, I'm going to back up a little bit just from last season to hit verses 19 and 20, and then we're going to get into verses 21 to 24, which is really the meat and potatoes of what we're looking at today. So let me just quickly uh, go through and and talk through what we talked about in our last episode, Uh, Romans 3, 19 through 20. Let me read it. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we became conscious of sin. Okay, so if you remember this uh, from last season, we looked, it says, whatever the law says, verse 19, and that is, is talking both to Jews who are under the Mosaic law, the one that is in the Old Testament, that was their book. Uh, that The Bible, the Old Testament was theirs, and they are to follow it, not just a little bit, but every word of it. Galatians 3 verse 10 says this, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, "Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. So uh, Paul is explaining here, if that's what you think you're okay on, uh, you're in big trouble. The Gentiles are in the same boat, though. Yeah, they don't have the Ten Commandments. They don't have all the other, <coughs> excuse me, all the other laws, but they have a law unto their own hearts, right? And you, we see this in Romans chapter one, if you remember that beautiful section of scripture. And it's it's amazing what happens that people choose to uh, not to glorify God, not to give Him thanks, but they exchange the glory of God for. Created things. Remember, we talked about the exchange of creator for creation. That's ultimately what sin is. And then in verse 32, the Apostle Paul says this it says, Although they know God's righteous decrees, that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Now, Romans 1 is talking about people who do not have the Bible. They're not Jewish. They didn't have any of this. And yet they know. It's written on their hearts. They know this. So, If you go back to Romans 3, it says it speaks to those who are under the law. Who's that? That's everyone. The capital L law, the the Old Testament law for Jews, and the one that's written on our hearts, the, the small L law, every one of us. And then it says, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. In other words, every single one of us, when it comes to be our turn on judgment day, On our own, and God has laid his case out, and he says, Okay, the defense or the prosecution rests. Now it's the defense's turn. It says our mouth will be closed. We've got nothing, right? We're just held accountable. And it is dark, right? It is dark. This is the way the first half of the book, or the first half of of chapter three, um, talks about, and it says that no one will be declared righteous in God's sight. By those works, rather, it's through the law that we become conscious of sin we we're just realizing that we're, we don't have we don't have what it takes, and it's really dark, and that's where it kind of ends That's where we ended last season, and that's a real dark place to end. Sorry about that, and guess what and now we get to the sweetest but in the Bible. Let me read twenty one to twenty four but now, apart from the law the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now, here's one of those deals where uh, you got to read this stuff slow, real slow. Because you, there's so many concepts here, you've got to kind of, like if you're walking through a river, and there's a bunch of rocks in the river, I don't know if you've ever done this, but you're trying to cross the river, you've got to go to one rock, and you jump to the next rock, and then you jump to the next rock, that's what you have to do with this part of Romans, okay? So let's just do that with these words in the remainder of our time. Let's just pause for a second here and kind of go through them. So let's just go back to, again, the sweetest but, but now. But now, God has done something in the spite of us being completely hopeless and helpless. And I want you to know something. God doesn't need to do this. God, God doesn't need to rescue us. He would still be God. He would still be just, still be loving. But He does. He didn't do it for the angels that sinned. 2 Peter 2, verse 4 says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be helped for judgment. Do you, do you hear that? That God didn't spare them. There's no salvation plan for angels. Just let that land for a second. And I know for me, it's always like, whoa. I'm really in trouble here, and, and we are. But that's not the end of the story, folks. It, but now, something's going to happen, and it's it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. It happens apart from the law. In other words, God has these requirements of who we should be and how we should be, and we don't measure up to them, and there is no hope in us being able to do that. So now it's something's going to happen in a different kind of system or a different kind of way And it's going to happen by this phrase, the righteousness of God has been made known. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. Now, if you go back to Romans Untangled, uh, season one, episode five, and I know nobody remembers that stuff. I had to look it up too. We came to this verse, we came to this, this idea of the righteousness of God in chapter one, verses 16 and 17. And at that time, we talked about there being four possibilities of what this was. What is this righteousness of God? And we said then, uh, we're going to kind of let that sit for right now. And we're just going to let, we'll keep reading the story here in Romans. And we're going to let the context of Romans, the story of Romans uh, decide for us, right? We'll let this, the Romans inform us how this is actually being played out. And we said the four possibilities for this word righteousness of god are the justice of god right it's the justice of god being shown which is what luther believed before he became a follower of christ he believed the righteousness of god was basically its justice and and admittedly that word righteousness can also be translated justice it's the same word second one is the faithfulness of god right it's it's god's faithfulness to us or faithfulness to his covenant thirdly it's the status of righteousness being given by God. In other words, it's something that is given. It's, it's not just God's faithfulness, and that would be on God. It is actually a thing that is given to someone. It, it, it's an item, right? We'll talk about that more in a bit. And then it's God's act of putting people in the right, which is the way Douglas Moo, uh, looks at it. He, he says, um, he says that's the way it is in Romans 1, 16 and 17, but he actually believes that in uh, Romans uh, 3, it's kind of along the lines of what I'm going to present here. And I and I just, if you look at this, um, he goes on to say this. He says that this righteousness is given through faith in verse 22, right? This righteousness is given. So, it has to be more than just the faithfulness of God. And it cannot be just the justice of God, right? It, it is, uh, those two things are certainly in the idea, but there's something that's given to us. Righteousness or being made right or being found not guilty or getting something credited to our account is what is given because something is gifted to us. And if you look at verse 22, and it says in, in the end of verse 21 that all the Old Testament lines up towards this. Remember when Jesus taught the people as they were walking along the road to Emmaus in verse 24, or Luke chapter 24, it says that you know Jesus said, uh, "This is the; these are all the things that testify about me." Right? He's telling them on the way, and that's exactly what's happening. And it says in verse 22, Romans 3:22, it says, "This righteousness, this righteousness of God." is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So look at the contrast here now. The one system says, here's all these lists of things. You must do them. You must follow them. You must be in line. You must be perfect because God is perfect. And admittedly, if if everyone were to follow all the rules of God, it'd be a great world, right? We'd have great. We'd have no crime. We would have no racism. uh, We would have no poverty. It would be beautiful. So the laws of God are great. The problem is we're sinful. We're, we're, we live in a sinful world and we have a sinful nature and we turn our, back, our backs on God. And as a result, uh, we we don't measure up to those. We simply don't measure up. And if you think you're measuring up, you're a prideful person, which the Bible talks about as being one of the worst, if not the worst, sin in the Bible. So you're in trouble. So the issue here is that I, since I can't measure up to this system, then, then somehow, uh, that system, I can never be made right before God with that system, unless there's another system, unless there's something, and somehow, and this is what we're going to talk about next week, as we look at how exactly does, does, God can't just throw away the old system and say, I didn't like that, let's do a different one, it has to do something else. And it goes from instead of works, it goes to this idea of faith, simple faith, and Trust Paul goes on then in in Romans chapter three to to say there is no difference between Jew and Gentile now it, it, most of the people listening to this probably have uh Gentile blood in you in other words, you don't have you don't can't trace your lineage all the way back to Abraham or anyone in there and and yet so for us that's not a striking statement. But for a traditional Jewish person, that is a very striking statement. That is a very difficult statement. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile? Well, sure there is. There's every difference in the world. We're, we're God's people. We've been chosen. We go through Abraham. We are the people of God. And Paul is making this state a statement here. And again, Paul is you know a, a very strong Jew. He was raised in this, and yet he says, guess what? That got us nowhere. We just had all the rules that now we know we didn't measure up to them. And so we are, in essence, first in line for the failures. So there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. Wow. Why? Verse 23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and ultimately fall short of of this glory that is God's and God's alone. Wow. Right? If this, if this episode so far isn't helping you to feel a little bit on your own as helpless and hopeless, then maybe I'm not landing where, where this is. Uh, apart from what Jesus Christ did, you and I have no hope. We have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then it says, verse 24, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. It says, and are justified. Now that's going to be one of our big theological words we're going to look at here in the next few weeks. Uh, I, I don't have my the Calendar in front of me, I think it's like four weeks out or whatever. It's a huge word. The simple way to say is it's just as if I never sinned. Justified, just as if I never sinned. And are just as if I never sinned. Duh. <laughs> I don't know how to add a and a, make it a, a, a uh, make it a, a proper word there. It we are done, God has done that. And he how does he do it? Freely. By his grace. God just does this freely because he's gracious. God is unbelievably gracious. That's crazy to think about. And then it says, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So in other words, God is, he's not only gracious, He's also just, and he has to be both. He can't just say, you know what? Not a big deal. I'm just going to give you all a mulligan, and, uh, you know, okay, forget about that old system. He can't do that. He would cease to be God. He has to provide not only mercy, but he also has to provide justice. And this justice is a redemption plan, redeeming, buying back, uh, going and 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 taking something that has been, uh, you know, beauty from ashes, so to speak. Jesus comes and buys you back. He redeems you. He pulls you to Himself. The redemption that came by Christ Jesus—it's beautiful. It's absolutely stunning. It's no wonder that Martin Luther said that this portion of scripture and the ones we're going to dive into in the next uh, few weeks is at the very core of the Bible. It is at the very core of our thinking. It is the central place, as Luther said, in the book of Romans. All of a sudden, as you start to read the Bible, you start to read it from the position of saying... This is what Jesus Christ has done for me. And that makes all the difference in the world. Now, if you're reading the Bible Genesis to Revelation, it took you a long time to get to the book of Romans, no doubt. And if you're reading it properly, you would you would read it and say, I'm in a heap of trouble here. And when you get to Romans then you would realize, oh my gosh. This is what Jesus Christ thinks about you. Now uh, to close us off the, in our time here I, I want to kind of go to a little bit of an application on this for us and the the difficult thing I'm going to ask you to do is to to do your best to remove yourself from our current cultural, ones and zeros and, and what I mean by that if you're not familiar with that term, it just means it's either this or it's this, right or Or to put it simply, if someone ever does something that is culturally insensitive or whatever, we cancel them and there's no redemption. They're forever lepers, right? And right now we have a tendency of looking at something making a snap judgment on something and saying it is this and it is not this the 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 problem with that biblically is there are times where we have to embrace two things simultaneously that cause tension and yet if we grasp both of them at the same time, it will change your life and I'm not just screaming into a microphone here in my basement uh, <laughs> for my health I really Believe this from my toes that if you grab these two concepts that we've looked at in this passage today and grasp both of them at the same time, it'll change your life. And here's the two concepts here they are one, I am sinful. I have looked at a holy God and have seen his ways and have seen him. And that he calls for my adoration, my affection, and my worship, and I slap him in the face and say, "No, I'm going to chase a career, or I'm going to chase a relationship, or I'm going to chase sex, or I'm going to chase money, or whatever it is, right?" And not that all of those things in the right context aren't couldn't be very good things, but but they become a god replacement, and as a result, I have committed. High treason against the Holy One. High treason. Whatever offense you think you've ever done, it's much higher than you think. Hold that and also hold that God still looks upon you with intense love and intense uh, uh, desire to draw you back to himself so much so that, as the famous John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son, so that ever whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So on my own, I deserve to perish, and yet God shines down upon me and says, Steve, I love you still which blows my mind, right? Those two concepts. I am sinful, and and yet I am unbelievably loved, and God does something for me. Tim Keller says it this way, and again, I know a lot of people don't pay any attention until I say anything until I give you a Tim Keller quote, and here we go. He says it this way. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. And here's my encouragement for you, Romans Untangled listeners. You need to hang on to both of them. One, you know, if you just hang on to the one, you'll just feel like, "Well, I'm nothing. I'm worthless. No one could ever love me. That's not true. But yes, I am a sinner. And, and, and God loves me. And God in Jesus Christ, are you ready for this? Accepts me. Now, that's crazy. If you fully get how much we've sinned against God, it just seems like a man, it's it's like watching a movie where the where the, the the bad guy or you know whatever it gets away. And yet God looks at us and the story of scriptures that we're all the bad guy. And yet he comes to redeem us and to pull us not only to just redeem us, but he also changes us and makes us be with him. I am so excited to keep digging into this uh, portion of Scripture here with you. Uh, Next week, we will continue on in our study of of Romans chapter 3. Next week, we are going to look at uh, verses uh, 25 and 26. Man. 25 and 26 is huge so I encourage you to maybe take a look at that uh, Romans 3, 25 and 26 and uh, I, I just again, I just thanks so much for listening uh, I'm so excited to unpack this with you and to enjoy it. If you have any thoughts or questions, send them to me at steve at hopecc.com. I would love to interact with you with any way shape or form that would be helpful and again, thanks so much for joining have a great week. We'll see you next week on Romans on Tang.